0: The party with taxpayers' money is over, ladies and gentlemen. We will respect the taxpayers again. And yes, ladies and gentlemen, we will stop the gravy train once and for all.
1: Where did stop the gravy train come from? It came from a focus group. Because everyone gravy train was something they had in their mind. So for one person, it was like literally go down there, and kick the shit out of the unions, they're getting way too much. For another person, it was like, I like the unions, but the counselors are spending too much money on coffees and cookies and lunches and baseball game tickets. For someone else, the gravy train was these tax increases are killing us. And so the stop the gravy train meant something different to so many more people, and that's why it blew wide open to 50 in the polls.
2: Rob Ford, the man, the politician, the brand, also meant something different to so many people, to most of the world. For a few months, he was a punchline.
0: The mayor was charged with being way too exciting for Canada. I shouldn't have got hammered. I've never said that in my life, Gore, I would never do that. I've got more than enough to eat at home. To a large chunk of Torontonians, he was an embarrassment. Yes, I have smoked crack cocaine. But no, do I? Am I an addict? No. Have Have I tried it? Um, Probably in one of my drunken stupors.
2: To an almost identical chunk of the same city, he was a working-class hero. He was an underdog from Etobicoke. He was unpolished and unprofessional and totally unconcerned about that.
0: I take my marching orders from the taxpayers, and when they say jump, I say how high.
2: To those closest to him, he was a family man, a father, a neighbor, and a football coach.
3: He said, I want you to remember that i always love you.
0: Life for me has been hard with only my mother to believe in me. And most of the time, Coach Ford would be the one I could turn to for moral support.
2: He was also an alcoholic, and he was a drug addict.
0: I don't even remember after. Some of the stuff that you guys see me that they'd have been in, that's a problem.
2: And all of those things were as true during his meteoric rise as they were during the devastating spiral that brought him down. To all of us back then, he should have been an example that democracy was changing, that politics was going in a new direction, and that the media was totally unprepared for what they were about to face.
3: You look at Donald Trump, and I thought, look at Rob Ford. He blazed the trail about down with the elites.
2: I'm Jordan heath Rawlings, your host on The Gravy Train, the story of Rob Ford and his legacy. I remember the night that Rob Ford was elected mayor of Toronto. I'll never forget it. I was in a newsroom, like I always was. I worked in newspapers for 15 years. I was in a lot of newsrooms. And in newsrooms, election nights are always the same. They go late. You get pizza, you take a nap in the afternoon, and you're ready to go till midnight. That didn't happen. This election was shockingly quick. Less than half an hour after the polls closed, Rob was proclaimed mayor. He'd been leading heading into election day, so it wasn't a total surprise. But it felt shocking. People in the newsroom gasped. It was shocking because from the moment he'd announced his run for mayor, even as he climbed the polls, it was just kind of assumed that he could never actually win. By the time he was elected, Rob had spent a decade on city council. He'd made it very clear who he was and what he stood for. And people who pay close attention to politics in Toronto assumed that a guy like that could never lead this city. They had nothing but disdain for him. So they wrote him off. And he won.
0: Can just
2: Rob Ford
0: as the mayor-elect in Toronto? Uh, pretty clear from the results we have so far that he has won this race. Um, it's fair to say I certainly didn't see the Rob Ford thing coming. Did you? Should we have seen this? Should we have known he was going to be the
2: The story of Rob Ford and all the crazy stuff you might be familiar with doesn't start on election night in 2010. And of course it doesn't end there. But for our purposes, it's the moment that makes the most sense if you're trying to explain more than half a decade later what really mattered about this story. Because as insane as the story of Rob Ford might seem at times over the course of this podcast, it's the stuff that is no longer insane. The stuff that no longer seems out of place in politics. That really matters. So, how did a man like Rob Ford end up on Toronto City Council in the first place? It starts with a politician named Doug Holliday, a councillor in Etobicoke, Rob's hometown just next to Toronto. And Doug Holliday was about to run for mayor, and he had a problem. So he walked into the Ford family business, just like he walked into our studio. Sorry, we don't
4: have any hooks in here for you um, to put your bag. But yeah, i just leave it there. Just, I just, I've just got my glasses, my phone, and a little jacket in case it rains.
2: <laughs> <laughs> the Ford family business was called Deco Labels and Tags. It had been founded by Rob's dad, Doug Sr., in 1962. Sr. ran the business. Rob and his brother Doug worked there. And Doug Holliday asked them if they could make him something
4: in 1994 i was running to become the mayor of the city of etobicoke and i had a lot of uh election signs uh, some of them uh, two by four some of them two by two but they all said doug holiday counselor and i needed them to say doug holiday mayor uh what i needed was a label to cover that up as you get to know the fords
2: you'll realize this is the perfect origin story for everything that comes afterwards it's a combination of local connections family business deals and a small beginning that quickly became a burning ambition.
4: Doug Ford Jr. did have a solution to my problem. They could print a label that did it, and actually he was able to print it in a a third color. He printed it red and white. My signs were blue and white. So it made my signs quite a bit better. And as a matter of fact, it really looked sharp. It turned out that the Fords ended up in politics
2: because Doug Holliday walked in with a problem at the right time. From there, Doug Jr. worked on Doug Holliday's campaign And Doug Sr. went out and became a politician himself.
4: By the time the election was over and we won, uh, the Fords had bit the bug on politics. At first I heard that uh, Doug Ford wanted to run provincially. There was a nomination going to occur in Etobicoke Center for the Conservatives, and he was going to contest that nomination. And I assumed it was Doug Ford Jr. going to do this. It turned out it was Doug Ford Sr., that was, I think, the first taste of politics for the Fords, and, uh, and they quite liked it. I guess uh, Doug Sr. did get himself elected, and with that, uh, Rob Ford, I guess, started paying a bit more attention to politics and uh, was probably still in his 20s, but uh, anxious to try it himself.
2: Rob was a young man then, and he was working at the family business and looking for something to do with his life after a brief stint at university. Greg MacArthur is an investigative reporter And he spent a lot of time digging into the Etobicoke history of the Fords. And Rob's aimlessness was not unusual. There was a whole generation of kids who came of age in the late 80s and early 90s in the Toronto suburbs who were just kind of aimless, drifting around, looking for a spark.
1: So you had this culture or this subculture where there was a ton of kids with a lot of money and there was not a lot of parental supervision. It was a time when I think parents were like less on their kids about where they were going and what they were doing. And as a result, there was a lot of drug dealing and a lot of drug usage.
2: Greg spent a year and a half tracing the Ford brothers' youth through Etobicoke parking lots and plazas. And all the really ugly stuff that he found will come into this story a little bit later. But if you want a picture of a young Rob Ford... First, picture a slightly slimmer and blonder and happier version of the red-faced, angry Ford the world would come to know. And if you're wondering what kinds of stories followed that young Rob from Etobicoke to City Hall, here's one.
1: There's this one story that I've heard from someone who was present. It was totally fitting with Rob Ford's political style.
2: Rob played football in high school at Scarlet Heights, Their chief rival was Richview Collegiate. And the parents of a Richview student happened to be having a big party for Richview kids only in their house. And their house was not far from Rob's.
1: And Rob showed up to the party in his Scarlet Heights football jacket, extremely intoxicated. It was somewhat exclusive. It was supposed to be just for Richview kids. And he he hadn't been invited. And he was being asked to leave. And then the father had to get involved in this shoving match and and Rob ended up shoving and fighting the father like down the street. That story really reminded me of his, his unwillingness to like relinquish control or power in any way and just kept pushing and pushing and pushing and pushing. Like to the point where an entire party of people were fighting him. I thought it was very telling.
2: That stubbornness, the refusal to accept a simple no, is part of how Rob Ford ended up on City Council in Toronto. You see, after his father won a seat provincially, Rob decided to run for Toronto Council in 1997. And he lost pretty badly. But three years later, he moved one ward north to avoid the councillor who had whooped him last time. And with some help from his dad, who oversaw the same area for the province and who held the family purse strings that powered his campaign, he won on his second try. And so Rob went to City Hall in Toronto, down the highway. And he walked in and he sat down next to a whole bunch of newly elected left-leaning city councillors, including a man named Joe Mahavik. And this is where Rob Ford began to find himself. And it's where our story really begins. Good morning. Good morning, Hi. Joe Mahavik. Yes. Jordan Heath Rollins. Hi, Pleasure nice to meet you. Thank you so much for taking the time. Oh, this welcome. is uh, Ryan. Clark. And Joe Mahavik, being Joe Mahavik, happily invited us over. Do you remember the first time you got to know him, had a real conversation with him?
5: Well, he was actually a fairly a quiet guy. He kept to his own. I do not remember as I would with many a new counselor, us going for lunch alone, um, getting to know you kind of moments. Um, he kept to himself.
2: It's actually hard to imagine not being able to sit down and get to know Joe Mahavik. He is welcoming and gregarious even by the slightly fake standards of a local politician. He looks now, and he looked then, every bit the left-wing councillor stereotype. He's half-university professor, half-reformed hippie. He's the type of guy who will offer you homegrown eggs from the chicken coop he keeps in his backyard.
5: Yeah. It's fresh. Never had a fresh egg, so I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> and uh, if you do... What was interesting is, is that the way he was privately or uh, alone was very different than when he was in front of a mic. In front of the mic, there was a, a certain Rob, and he was, a, let's call him, the ranting counselor. He would get up, and it, it pretty well was a canned speech. What does that speech sound like? Um, We're wasting taxpayers' money um, that uh, leave people alone, get the government out of people's face. Uh, These uh, Virtually every city department is wasteful.
2: Every so often, Rob Ford would record a video for YouTube. He had his own channel, and it was his preferred method of communication. And these videos would prove Joe's point about the message at the heart of his brand.
0: So, at the end of it all, if you add up the golf passes that we get for free, the free Board of Trade membership, the free exhibition place, the free casaloma, the free conservation, the free TTC pass, the free zoo pass, the free parking pass, you multiply that by 45 members of council, you're looking at minimum 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 savings of 20 to 30 million dollars of taxpayers money this is what we, what this is what I talk about of wasted money at City hall this should be eliminated every single budget meeting I tried to get rid of this and they laughed me out of the council chamber
2: the infamous slogan would come a little later but the brand that built Rob Ford that was there from the very beginning Doug Holiday, the guy who helped the Fords get into politics, was now also a councillor in Toronto. And so he knew from back in Etobicoke what Rob was all about. Holiday's brand was as a penny pincher too, just like Rob. But he was not prepared for how far Rob was about to take it.
4: When he got down there, one of the first things he did announce was he was going to follow my lead and he, he was going to try to do some of the things that we'd done as mayor of Etobicoke and as we were doing at the new city of Toronto council. I had the lowest expenses. and. So in order to get the lowest expenses to beat me, he simply paid for everything, which I didn't think was the way to to do it. And that went a long ways to creating, I guess, a brand for him. For the couple thousand dollars a year that it cost him to do that, that was something that he couldn't have paid, he couldn't have bought enough advertising to ever accomplish what was accomplished because he spent that money. Here's how it works. City councilors have a budget
2: They can use for things to keep their offices running. Everything from meals to pencils and paper to bubble gum, if they want to submit it. But those expenses go on the public record, and the City of Toronto began to publish them on its website. And so if you filed for zero expenses because you could afford to buy everything out of your own pocket, you could then go through those records and take some pretty embarrassing numbers about your colleagues and point them out to reporters.
4: And Rob used that quite well. He had his staff list some of these uh, expenditures of of some of the counselors and some of the waste that was going on. And some of it made interesting reading. And some of the papers, of course, would pick up on that. And that, again, just heightened the brand.
2: It wasn't as though those expenses didn't exist before Rob got to City Hall. It's just everyone used their expense budget and nobody weaponized it. It was in the budget to be used. It wasn't that it couldn't be done. It's just that nobody had done it before. And this became a hallmark of a council with Rob Ford on it.
6: The first time I met Rob Ford, I was was after I was elected in 2003. Yeah, And it would have been on council. And I actually think he sent me a note uh, congratulating me on my victory.
2: That's Karen Stintz. And Rob should have been on her team. She was a fiscal conservative. She knocked off a longtime incumbent. And she joined a group that was already forming right-leaning opposition. Liberal Mayor David Miller. Miller had made no secret of his plans to invest in expansive transit projects and thousands of new affordable housing units. And he had given in, notably, to the union after an infamous six-week-long strike by the garbage workers left the city's streets oozing with filth. So Miller was an easy target for a team of conservative councillors. But the thing is, Rob hadn't been on a team since high school, and he had no plans to join one at City Hall.
6: Rob uh, was not really part of the opposition. We had actually formed an opposition um, called the Responsible Government Group, and Rob didn't want to be part of it. Um, He was always a lone operator. And so he would pick causes as opposed to opposing David Miller, recommending cuts to the watering of the plants or to... Uh, office budgets or to various small items that made big headlines. He was the man that would find the dollars that we were just not paying attention to. And he used to, you know, say my father would always tell me, if you look after the cents, the dollars will take care of themselves. And he was very much that person.
2: Did he ever burn you uh, with those expenses?
6: Well, he did actually um, erroneously. He um, had added tallied up my uh, taxi expenses And he posted on his website at the time that I took a, I think it was a $500 taxi ride on New Year's. And in fact, I hadn't taken a $500 taxi ride on New Year's. Um, It was the sum total of all the taxis I'd taken in the year that they had added up and put as a one taxi ride. And why it was so frustrating to me was because I was actually in the hospital with my daughter because she had pneumonia on New Year's. (laughs) So... I knew for a fact I didn't take a cab on New Year's. So I did talk to his office and they did, uh, they did amend it, but they weren't interested in making friends of counselor colleagues.
2: Rob typically didn't spend his time at budget meetings or committee meetings. He believed in direct customer service. So he gave out his phone number to anyone, to his constituents, to other constituents. He wanted them to call him, and they did.
0: I was brought up in a business. I was brought up um, in my dad's business, and he said there's two rules in selling. The first rule is the customer's always right. And the second rule is reread the first rule. The customer's always right. Thank you, sir. You take care. And I take that exact same approach to politics. When they call me, there's no such thing as, oh, I'm busy, I'm this and that. They're the boss. They deserve.
2: When citizens called and had a problem, Rob would go, 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 go see him. Instead of sitting in a meeting, you would drive around and meet voters one-on-one. And like I said, not always his voters. To this day, if you ask a Torontonian from anywhere in the city what they remember about Rob Ford other than, you know, this is the myth they will conjure up.
6: The one thing he did do as well is he would take calls from people all across the city who were frustrated by the city and their councillor. So he, to be candid, there wasn't a lot going on in his community. So he had time to be visiting the city and in everyone else's community. And often he would send a message to counselors' offices, arranging a meeting with their constituent and city staff, and then demanding that the counselor be present at his meeting that he called (laughs) for a community concern in another counselor's area. And it was very frustrating to be called to a meeting that he'd organized without any concern for whether I actually could fit that in my schedule and then left the impression with the constituent that I didn't care.
2: Tell me about that meeting. You clearly remember one of them.
6: Oh, it was about windows. And it was about a constituent who was complaining about her neighbor's new home that was built. And her position was that the windows were not in um, accordance with the building code. And this battle went on for years because the neighbors just didn't like each other. I had got drawn into it until finally I said, look, I can't do anymore because fundamentally you just don't like your neighbor. And so she called Rob Ford.
2: The weird magic of Rob's common touch was that it didn't matter who else had told you it couldn't be done. When Rob Ford came out, he would either convince you that he's the guy who could help you or that nothing really could be done. And that was it.
6: What was amazing to me, actually, was that even though I had gone out and met, as in my personal example, I had gone out and met with this woman probably three or four times. And yet, it was only Rob who could tell her that nothing else could be done. Hmm. And that was, again, a mystery to me. So somehow Rob had built up this reputation as the guy who could fix it. And yet, if he couldn't fix it, people believed that it really couldn't be fixed. (laughs) Whereas, if I said it can't be fixed, then they would call Rob.
2: (laughs) That's the tell it like it is uh, mentality.
6: But I later found out, because when I was running for re-election, she had a giant Rob Ford sign on her lawn when he ran for mayor.
3: The, the famous thing about Rob is that someone would phone him up and my pipe isn't leaking or some bureaucrat said no when I wanted him to say yes,
2: and Rob would fix it. That's Gord Perks. He was and still is the councillor for a Western Toronto ward. He's a tireless advocate for city services and the environment. In fact, the first time he set foot in City Hall, it was not as a councillor, but as an environmental activist. As you may imagine from that introduction, he was ideologically opposed to Rob from the moment the two met. But he sat near him in council, and he has an insider's view of the myth I just described.
3: No, what Rob would do is say, you are right, uh, the system is broken. You should have got better service than that. Uh, your perception that government is your enemy is absolutely correct. I will go fix it. And then, and this is something that only those of us who were here in the building know uh, he would do absolutely nothing to fix it. Nothing. His success came from telling people they were right, not in delivering fixes to their problems. He was profoundly lazy uh, in terms of understanding how the, the city of Toronto
2: worked. To councillors like Perks, who considered themselves progressive, it wasn't just Rob's misunderstanding of government that bothered them. There was another side to Rob that was unavoidable. He made it very
3: plain to anyone who was listening with even half an ear open that he was deeply racist, sexist, and homophobic.
2: From the first day he arrived at City Hall, whether you wanted to call them racist and sexist and homophobic or not, Rob's public comments were frequently offensive and inflammatory. And his words and the condemnation that followed became the story. Early in his first term, for example, Rob had called attention to a large expense submission of an Italian counselor named Giorgio Mammoliti and Mammoliti alleged that he went much further than that.
5: Uh, calling me
3: a Gino boy uh, no, is, is totally inappropriate. It. And it's yet another racist comments towards Italians
0: no, in this place. <laughs> he came on and he starts smirking at me. So I said, you should do the same as Councilor. So he said, shut up, goon.
5: The language, <clears> the language
3: <throat> that he chooses <throat> to
0: use is racist, and I'm not going to put up with I'm it. Not, I'm not a racist, and I, and I would like to apologize to call I'm not a racist. I roll, roll the tape. I, I did not say that.
2: Beyond the slurs, or not slurs, which were bad enough, Rob's remarks were often profoundly ignorant, the way Perks suggested, especially for a counselor in a city like Toronto. Even 15 years ago, Toronto was one of the most diverse cities in the world, and it had perhaps the largest openly gay community outside of San Francisco. And yet, somehow.
0: It's very preventable. If you're not doing needles and you're not gay, you won't get AIDS probably. That's the bottom line.
2: So that is one example. Here comes another one. And just know that there are a lot of these, and I could make this episode half an hour longer if I wanted to.
0: Those Oriental people work like dogs. They work their hearts out. They are workers nonstop. They sleep beside their machines. That's why they're successful in life.
3: And instead of owning up to it, because... Part of Rob was not, was being unwilling to own up to anything. He, you know, brought stuff that he thought was evidence about how his really ugly racist slurs were, you know, in fact, just a, an ordinary guy stating the facts.
0: At no time did I ever offend the Asian community by giving them a compliment
2: those were all comments that Rob made publicly. But Perks, who worked on council with him and sat close to him at City Hall, describes private interactions being like that too. His sexism was, was present
3: in all of his interactions with women um, and the way he spoke to men about women. How so? Uh, he would diminish and objectify them.
2: To his colleagues?
3: To his colleagues, to to basically any time that
2: uh, he thought he could get away with it. Here's Karen Stintz again. Later on in Rob's story, she'll become the subject of one of his sexist diatribes, but we'll get to that story later. For now, just know that she didn't really understand him.
6: The thing, the thing about Rob is, I never knew if it was conscious or subconscious. I, I. <laughs> I didn't know if he was playing a role or that's just who he was.
2: The man of the people is the persona Rob adopted whenever he was accused of stepping over the line with one of his comments. None of those comments decreased his popularity. None of them really did anything tangible except provoke condemnation from his colleagues and fill a lot of column inches in newspapers. See, there were dozens of these stories, small and large. Every time Rob said or did something, it was a little mini scandal. Here's a good example. He was kicked out of a Toronto Maple Leafs game in 2006. He was screaming profanities at a couple who was sitting nearby. A man asked him to be quiet. Rob asked the man who the fuck he was. Then he turned to the man's wife and said, Do you want your little wife to go over to Iran to get raped and shot? Then, when the inevitable firestorm erupted, he told the media he wasn't even at the game. Except it was later revealed that he'd been handing out his business cards to everyone sitting nearby.
5: And Ford recently apologized for being drunk and belligerent at a Leafs game.
0: I made a mistake. I'm only human and I don't know what more to say. I apologize. There were a lot of apologies.
2: And it eventually became obvious that these weren't exactly isolated incidents. By 2008, there was plenty of evidence that behind the scenes, the Ford family, which by then included Rob, his wife Renata, and two young children, had some serious issues.
0: You know, Every family has their problems behind closed doors, as you know. It's just I'm in public life and mine are more exposed than others. Outspoken city councillor Rob Ford now back at work after shocking allegations by his wife that led to criminal charges.
2: Rob Ford placed a 911 call to the police late evening,
3: March 25th, because of his spouse's irrational behavior,
2: and as a result of consultation with the police, he left the family home with the children. In what will, you'll notice, become something of a pattern. When reporters asked voters about Rob's latest scandal, they stood by him. They really liked Rob. He was a man of the people, and he was entitled to a personal life.
4: Should he step aside? Or That's should he a
2: decision
5: he'll have to make. Past that, I, I really can't comment. Uh, you know, he's been charged with some very, very serious offences. Any time you're dealing with a domestic situation, um, one of
2: the unfortunate realities of political life is that, is that your private life is public. And, and these sorts of situations are unbelievably complicated, require an extreme amount of sensitivity, and they really are no business of any of us.
3: I think the allegations against him are, are greatly blown up. As a councillor, I think he's great, one of the greater ones on the council.
6: I think sometimes we, we jump to conclusions too quickly. That's my personal opinion, and I think it'll play out in the courts. And the fact that he's got the children probably says a lot.
2: In this particular case, the charges were eventually dropped. And the media did not pry further into the counselor's home life. And Rob went back to building his brand as a penny pincher and a man of the people. And there was a growing segment of Toronto who were buying it. Despite the scandals or maybe because of them, maybe they normalized him. This is one of those things that I mentioned at the beginning that might have seemed insane at the time, all these scandals making no dent, but that doesn't seem insane anymore. Doug Holliday, who understands exactly where the Ford family comes from, can explain why some of the worst stuff to come out of Rob's mouth just bounced right off him.
4: Rob always uh, w- was outspoken, and sometimes he 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 didn't have his thoughts uh, in line. But uh, lots of times uh, he made sense if you th- if you really listened to what he had to say. The thing with Rob was, I guess, in, in some of his personal life uh, later on, it, it came apart. But uh, politically, uh, I thought Rob was very astute, and he he knew from a common sense standpoint what needed to be done to manage the affairs of the taxpayers who who voted and put us on the council. That was the brand. He was the helping the little guy all the time. If you phone him up, he'd come to your house. I don't know how he could have had time for other things like reading the agendas and following the detail of managing the city, but you, you know, you can't be on the phone 12 hours a day. Or I, I, I would sometimes get a call late at night from Rob Ford, and it's because my number came up in his system somehow, and he didn't recognize that it was me. And he called, and, and he'd say, it's Rob Ford, return your call. I said, Rob, I called you two days ago, and it's my, it's me. And I saw you yesterday. You know, like, he, but he had that system, and he, I think he printed out the list, I don't know. And, and then he'd, wherever he was, he'd just keep dialing those numbers. There's a key part of
2: Rob Ford's brand that inspired so many people. It's why they loved him so much, so much that no scandal could ever make a dent in the image they had of him. It's the part of his image that casts him as the plain-spoken regular guy, the guy who would come on over to help you out, your man on the council. If you don't care much about politics, that's what matters to you. But if you care about politics, And the way it works, if you care about the bigger picture or the policy or the process like Gord Perks does, for instance, then it's impossible to understand why people respond so emotionally to what Rob Ford is selling. Because it must seem obvious to you that it will never accomplish anything substantial, but that doesn't matter to them. He would spend
3: absolutely none of his time fixing the things that can be fixed, how frequently the bus runs, how many childcare spaces we have, uh, the relative tax rates of of, uh, commercial and residential properties, all the hard, thorny problems that actually make cities work. Rob never knew anything about any of that. He never cared about any of that and he never spent one minute on any of that. So he had plenty of time to ride around in his truck and tell people how great they were and that's what people liked. It's not that he solved any of their problems. It's not that he had any particular genius for uh, building a new political movement, he just managed to persuade people that the guy who tells you what you want to hear is your friend and you want to have your friend in the
2: mayor's chair. This is the debate at the heart of all of it, at the heart of Rob Ford's legacy, at the heart of politics itself. I'm not joking. The question of whether Rob was an idiot playing angry people for fools or a genius tapping into a growing movement, that's at the core of understanding how we view what happened next. Doug Holliday is on one side and Gord Perks is on the other. And the truth might be somewhere in the middle. But that debate doesn't leave room for a middle. By the end of 2009, Rob Ford had pissed off basically all of city council, left and right. But he'd done that while building himself a substantial base of voters all over the city who loved him, mostly because he'd called them back and gone to see them. His offensive comments and personal scandals meant that he was portrayed in the media as a thuggish buffoon at best. But we covered him. I was there. We covered him all the same because those scandals also made for great headlines. He had been called a racist and a homophobe repeatedly and publicly by counselors and the media and everyone else. He'd faced charges of domestic abuse. He had been mostly absent in the actual day-to-day operations of the council he sat on. But he had spent the past 10 years making calls and handing out business cards and, yes, riding around in his truck and telling people that they were great. So naturally, when the calendar turned to 2010 and the election came around, Rob Ford ran for mayor.
5: No one ever thought that this Gentleman would be the mayor of the city of Toronto. After um, uh, ten years of uh, watching Rob Ford in action, uh, those who had who were with him during those uh, on council at the same time as him during those ten years, he would have been uh, perceived as having the lowest skill set to actually uh, undertake uh, that function. Um, when he announced that he was going to run for mayor, most of us. Uh, said, are you serious, Rob, that you're going to do this? And he says, damn right I'm serious. I'm going to go after you guys.
2: The way Karen Stintz saw Rob Ford in 2010 could apply to basically every councillor. He was not a threat.
6: Part of the mistake we collectively made was we just dismissed him as being irritating instead of recognizing that he was building the space across the city with disaffected voters.
2: That's where the story of Rob Ford began. Here is where it's about to go,
1: this season on The Gravy Train. He introduced himself by saying something like, I'm not going to have any cancer on this campaign. From the get-go, his campaign was, you know, I'm going to use the word corrupt. It was
3: all war all the time. I said, you've got to make a decision, you've got to choose. You want to do football?
6: Or do you want to be the mayor of the city? They talked about finding empty alcohol bottles in his office. They talked about him clearly being drunk at evening events. Trying
4: to decide, you know, did I really just see the mayor snorting coke off of some woman's hand?
2: Ain't no party like a Rob Ford party.
4: There's no
0: video, so that that's uh, all I can say.
5: And people said, if you are one-tenth of your uncle, you have our full support.
1: There was nothing for one of his kids that he wouldn't do.
5: He was the, one of the first of the right-wing populist screw-the-government types that have emerged in this, uh, in this decade. And it worked.
2: I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings, the host and co-author of The Gravy Train. Annalisa Nielsen and Stephanie Phillips are producers and co-authors. Ryan Clark is also a producer and our sound engineer. Rob Purchase and Daniela Gian handled archival sourcing for all those clips you hear. Editorial guidance came from Claire Broussard and Amal Delich, and it wouldn't sound this good without them. And we had our production assistants, Lucas Ionetta and Matthew Morrow, doing everything else that needed doing. If you enjoyed this episode, you better hit subscribe. There's more coming. You can also find this podcast, the other one I host, called The Big Story, and about 10 or 12 others at FrequencyPodcastNetwork.com they're all excellent. Go give
5: them a lesson.